Hopefully you're a note taker because I'm going to be teaching on writing it down. Look at somebody next to you and say, write it down. Now you fancy pants, new people, you have phones and you can type it and I get that and that's good too. But I want to go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 29 and uh, often quoted verse. It uh, is so strong. Verse 18, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The King James says, the people perish. How many of you know perish is not a good thing? The people are unrestrained. We've seen that in society. When there's no vision, people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. The law of God, they're the parameters and the do's and don'ts of God. You know, and the, and the why of it is because God loves us and the law is good and uh, keeps us on track. Lawlessness is not good. And um, to be visionless is included in that. Without a vision, without a perspective, without having something to fix your sights on, you'll, you'll never hit a target. Um, you know, most people don't, uh, they don't have goals, you know. And, and uh, I, I want you to go to Habakkuk, which is past Proverbs and Isaiah. It goes, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. And um, just get up there around, oh, now I'm, now I'm showing off and now I'm having a hard time finding it. <laughs> there it is. Um, it's on page 1316 of my... New American Standard, 1995, single margin, 2002, Foundation Press. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Starts out with a volitional, decisional choice. Did you know God made you to be creative, decisional, volitional? Did you know he's a creator and he made you in his image, so you're creative? Now, you may have taken a, pro, a personality test at school or college, and you may not have creativity as a strong aspect of your personality. It may be stronger for some than others, but make no mistake about it. The Creator created you to be creative. Yes. And He created you for good works, which He prepared beforehand. Since before you were formed in your mother's womb, you know, I, 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 the, my one regret is that I didn't know my wife all her life. I would love to have grown up and known her as a little kid. Um, because, you know, you, you fall in love with somebody and you, and you make a rela- covenant relationship with somebody. It's like you so appreciate them. You just want to, you just want to know that you want them to, in their entirety, you know, and, um, What does bring interesting ideas to me about her is that before she was formed in her mother's womb, he knew her. And uh, he, he he knows more about her than she even knows about her. God knows more about you than you know about you, than the most observant, loving, thoughtful people around you know about you. And so there was a Hebrew guy named Habakkuk, I called him Habakkuk for a long time, and I call him, um, I don't even know what to call him now, but he was this Hebrew guy. Everybody say, Hebrew guy. Hebrew guy. 
And he was doing the right thing. He said, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek God. He said, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. He uses military terms. And the imagery is that of a fortified city like Jerusalem with walls, you know. And they don't have gun turrets because guns hadn't been created yet, but they had slots for archers. And they had places where they could aim and shoot. And they, they called these places uh, guard posts and ramparts. Uh, you know, Elvis had produced his best songs, and he got, a, he got drafted and spent two years in Germany, 58 to 60, and he was on guard. Um, and trouble started to happen for him because he didn't want to be treated like a rock star and he wanted to just be a soldier. So he would commit to the same thing everybody else was. He didn't sign up to be in the entertainment sector. And, and, and I mean, I think it was noble of him, but sadly he got caught up when he was on his guard post in uh, amphetamines. I heard his wife talk about this. And uh, it snared him and wrecked the rest of his life. So Habakkuk isn't up here popping Adderall or taking speed. He says, I'm, I'm, but I'm up here for a reason, and it's to, seek, it's to find out what God is saying to me. And he's not bowing up like I'm, I'm on a, one side or the other of a culture war, so I'm going to get up on my rampart, and I'm going to get jacked up and either be uh, left or right and either be this bias or that bias. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I'm going to get up on my guard post and I'm going to station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see, look at this, what he will speak to me. This is very important. It was noble of Elvis Presley to submit and go to the draft and serve in the military. How many of you agree agree that was good? It it was at the detriment of his career. You know, he turned to, uh, oh, who's that guy? uh, that did uh, sang Pretty Woman, uh, Roy Orbison. He said, Roy, it's all yours now, because he thought his career was ended. And it did, but it did mar him. But this did not mar Habakkuk. When Habakkuk, Habakkuk got up on the guard post and the rampart, his singular focus was on finding out what God would say to him. And I think it's interesting, too. He said, I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. I love, that. I love the way that's phrased. And how I may reply when I am reproved. Not if, but when. For sure, he's going to get... Reproof is adjustment. It's correction. It's God coming in and saying, since you're seeking me, I'm going to reveal some things to you. Then the Lord answered me and said, aren't you glad when we pray, it's two-way and God will speak to our hearts? Look what he said. Write it down. Everybody say, write it down. Record the vision... And inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. I was walking in Chesterfield Mall years and years and years ago. I was one of the first clerks to work a job in that place in 1976 when it opened up. Uh, I was actually in the mall working when I heard Elvis Presley died. I don't know why I'm talking about Elvis so much. I just feel like he was a Pentecostal guy that was a minstrel who was called and got, I think, seriously hijacked. So I'm preaching so that won't happen to you. 
And uh, while I was walking down the mall, there was a ladies' store that had raised polished brass lettering for their logo. And I, I, when I saw it, it made an impression on me. And I, 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 I went in and I asked where they got the letters. I called the company and I ordered, honor God, help people. And that's where I got the inspiration. While I was walking through the mall, I walked past a ladies' store of all things, saw the letters that were raised on the wall outside, inquired from the management. They gave me the number for the people. We ordered them and we hung them up for this very reason, to record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. Now, modern business people would say this is really a motto. This is not really a uh, mission statement. It's really more of a motto, honor God, help people. But when, uh, who was the guy that was the attorney general for Bush? John Ashcroft stood at this pulpit. He said, I've never seen anything like that in a church before. He said, basically, it's, re it's restating, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he's an Assembly of God guy from Springfield and, you know, grew up in it, understood the spirit-filled life, and uh, understood what we were trying to um, present in the culture of our church. This is, this is our ethos. This is, what God, this, is the, this is what God's called us to function in. How can I honor you, God? What pleases you, God? Well, faith pleases you. Walking in the love walk, being forgiving, overcoming strife. What, you know, and and how, how, do we, how do we help people? You know, how do we do that? Just, we'll spend a lifetime trying to figure that out as it pertains to us and our church and our ministry, Right? Record the vision, but I want to get personal with you and encourage you to write down some goals, not necessarily tonight, not necessarily, you know, under pressure in the next few days. I'm not locking you into a New Year's resolution and all that sort of thing, but I am encouraging you to uh, seek the Lord and um, listen for him, and he'll speak to you. And then record the vision. Write it, inscribe it on tablets. My wife has tablets. They're literally notebook after notebook after notebook that she's filled up with prayer, prayer yearnings and, and they're private to her. You know, she'll sometimes show me. She has, you know, she takes notes of my messages. She takes, you know, she, and, and she'll look at things I said five or six years ago and it's really, it's, it's interesting. She's a note taker. Habakkuk, aren't you glad he was a note-taker? Aren't you glad Moses was a note-taker? Aren't you glad Paul the Apostle was a note-taker? We, we are indebted to the scribes and the Jews that were obedient to this mandate. And uh, it says here, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. That the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. There's a time and a place for everything, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. 
that he makes everything beautiful in its time. Our times are in his hands, Jeremiah said. So it will certainly come. It will not delay. That's why I always take issue when people say, God is the God of the last minute. That really bugs me. Theologically, I cannot disagree more. God is the God of perfect timing. He's not the God of the last minute. From your point of view and my point of view, it might be. But his point of view is totally different. we got to get his point of view. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Boy, that's an encouragement right there for Habakkuk. But we can look at this and we can draw terrific encouragement into our spirit as well. Because for us, Ecclesiastes, what is it, 7, 8, says the end of a matter is better than the beginning. What is it in Proverbs 4? The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter to the full day. What is it in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians 5? That he, he is uh, faithful as he who calls you. He'll also bring it to pass. It's all over the place. Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. Law, prophets, epistles, gospels. God's faithfulness and his timing is perfect. Job even said, you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And he was the guy whose life epitomized what looked like thwarting, being thwarted. But his life, at the look, consider Job, the end of his life, everything worked out, right? All's well that ends well, right? But in the meantime, uh, don't just think about what I'm saying. Write it down. Everybody say, write it down. It sounds incredible, but according to Dave Cole, a, a professor emeritus at Virginia Tech, 80% of Americans don't have goals. Approximately 16% say they do have goals, but they don't ever write them down. Only 4% do write down their goals, and fewer than 1% actually review them on an ongoing basis. I think that is... Shameful when you see what God told Habakkuk. He says, well, now I'm, I'm going to seek God and find out what he wants me to do. Record the vision, he says. Make it plain on tablets so the one that reads it may run. Right? So that's why I put these motto words up. Um, just as a reminder in the culture of our church that we're, we're called to be. I mean, that's another way of saying you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, purchased possession. He's called you out of darkness to show forth his marvelous light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Not to be confused, though, with what Jesus says later in, in Matthew chapter, what is it, 7 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. The motive thing is so important to Jesus. Uh, but he does want us to be highly motivated that we are the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, we're a city set on a hill, and we're called to do something very big. You know, I grew up in California. Walt Disney started in 1955, the year before my birth. He bought some orange groves in uh, Anaheim, California, and uh, cleared them and started a, an amusement park. He had great success through the 20s and 30s with animation, 
until he had a terrible labor dispute and a lot of protest. He got his feelings hurt. He got so dejected, and he was trying to. He he, he tried to create a culture, a family, and he felt like he felt betrayed. He felt really hurt at the situation that happened. Well, his hobby was to ride around on a, a like a special kind of a train set in his yard. It wasn't like little Lionel trains. It was big enough for him to sit on and ride with his knees way up, you know, but he would ride around and have a little hat on, and that was what he brought, did for recreation. And also, he had two daughters, and he would go to the park and sit on a bench at the carousel, and he would sit there, and he'd buy a bag of peanuts, and he said he'd be sitting there with his leg crossed eating peanuts, watching his daughters have all the fun on the carousel, and he thought, this I wanted to connect with my kids. He was a workaholic, really, and he, but yet he had a good relationship with his daughters and wanted to have time with them, and there was disconnect. So he had a goal. It's on the statue at the, uh, what's the name of that one park? The park with the castle? Magic Kingdom. And he's standing there with Mickey Mouse, and it's a bronze statue right there in the middle of the street, where the, uh, everybody gathers to watch the fireworks. And he basically said, I want to have an amusement park that's not just for kids, but also for adults, so that everybody can have a good time. And he said, my mission in life is to make people happy. My mission is, in life is to make people happy. Now, I, I was invited, and I'm on the board of Bayless Conley's church, Cottonwood Church out in California, on Catella which is just right down the street from Disney World or Disneyland. And on the 30th anniversary, they, he asked me to speak, and so I spoke a message, and, I, and, and, and uh, there, there were the governor, government people were there and pastors, and Fred Price was there. And he'd, he'd go like that when I preach. He'd, he'd go like that. And uh, it was amazing. But I took issue with when they said, that's the happiest place on the earth. That night I said, this church is the happiest place on earth because happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Come on, right? But I think, I think actually Walt Disney nailed it. I mean, um, this was his goal, and I, you know, he, he, he developed that. Um, yeah, so I think it's important for us to, to, to seek God like Habakkuk is doing here. And here's why. It says, behold, verse 4, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So this is a faith thing. And what I propose to you is you can get with God and he will bring revelation to you and he will guide you and show you things to come. And you know, even if he has to reprove you. And so um, I want to encourage you to, to really take this to heart. Uh, and, and here's what, here's some quotes I have from some different ministers. Warren Wiersbe said, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. He said, we need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But 
if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. There's a miracle in, in, in clear vision. As I said in the King James, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people are unrestrained, it says in the New American. Berkeley says the people run wild. The people become demoralized, it says in the New American Bible. And the Revised Standard Version says people cast off restraint. We've seen this a lot in society. So take down these five points. Number one, one number one, get with God in private. Habakkuk, when he got up on his rampart and he got up, he, you could tell he was doing what Matthew 6, 6 reiterated. Get in your closet, close the door, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Yeah. The weapons of mass distraction are designed to take off your edge and blur your thinking and blunt your perceptions, and it's just good to get alone and turn off the TV, spend, get, push your phone away, and spend some adequate time getting with God in private. Number two, write it down. Write it down. That's great. You're writing down to write it down. Number three, this is profound. Pray about it. Pray about it. Get with God in private. Write down what he tells you. Pray about it. And number four, this is important. In 2022, use your faith for favor, timing, and for finances. Use your faith for favor. Use your faith for timing. And believe God for finances so you have the resources to fulfill what God's called you to do. In your giving, and your work, and your building, and your development of whatever he calls you to do. In all areas. Number five. Peter Drucker was a Christian, and he was a genius with management and leadership. My dad even referenced him in his business. My wife had a dream. She woke up and said, God wants us to do things smart. And uh, work smart. You know, we work hard, but you need to work smart and work hard. Right? And uh, Peter Drucker had an acrostic. S-M-A-R-T. You could write this down. Write down S-M-A-R-T vertically and save space. Because what he said was, this is how you work smart. Be specific. Specific. M is for measurable. Measurable. A is attainable. R is relevant. T is for time-bound. It's time-bound. Live with the end in mind. Covey said, live with the end in mind. Jesus said, there comes an hour when no man can work. Steve Jobs said one of the greatest inventions was death. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? But he said, when you have a deadline, then you quit procrastinating and you get some things done before you hit that moment. That's, it, it, that could be morbid, and I think, you know, I'm not necessarily a follower of Steve Jobs, but I think his point was valid. I don't think God invented death, actually. I think it was a consequence of sin. But given that we do have to deal with that, 
let's just face it and be specific about the things God's called us to do. When the man asked me to pray for him yesterday in the parking lot, before I laid hands on him, I searched what God would have me pray. So when I laid hands on his chest with his wife there and the other guy in the other car, uh, as we were praying, the Lord started to guide me prophetically on how to pray, including the medicines that he gets wouldn't have, uh, what is it when medicines have conflict? There's a word for that. I had that word yesterday and I forgot it. Yeah, see, that's why I forgot it. I had it for a minute in prayer. Contraindication. Where they, where they either self-cancel or, or worse yet, they make one worse than for, bad for you, you know. Say, God even gave me practical steps on that. And then 20 minutes later, he gets a call that might be a robocall. He answers it anyway. It ends up being this company that says, we're giving you, sending this message. This is, you're getting it for free. Specific, we prayed specifically about that. Now, measurable. Um, measurable, where um, you know you've succeeded because this is what, you, you know, we, we, we threw out, hey, let's have, a, let's have a men's breakfast. And I was believing God for hundreds of people. We had 400 people. My wife has greater faith. She believed God had 620 people. You ladies or something. She's merciful now. They've done it more often. But it lent itself to my message because David had 400 mighty men, and that was cool. Uh, attainable, where, you know, it's not just so uh, grandiose and so unrealistic that you set, set yourself up for disappointment. Um, you know, it's within, I mean, in God, you know, you, you, you see what, you find out what the Lord's saying to you, and then you step out in faith. And you, but you, you also want to make sure that it's God speaking to you. Yeah. And then when you know it's God speaking to you, it's never unrealistic, and it is attainable. Yeah. And it's always relevant. Yeah. It's relevant, meaning that what you're doing matters and that it's going to make a difference and it's going to bear fruit and it's going to bring honor to God and it's going to impact people, right? And it's time-bound, so like draw the lines and have a plan for a certain period of time, right? Um, so I like that future and hope verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Chuck Swindoll said, even though your past is soiled, anyone can find a new beginning with God. Don't get stuck on where you were. Don't waste your time focusing on what you used to be. Remember, the hope we have in Jesus means there are brighter days tomorrow. Our sins are forgiven. The shame is canceled. <laughs> That's what one aspect of cancel culture that I agree with. Jesus canceled our sin. Thomas Merton said this. He said, by reading the scriptures, I'm so renewed that my nature, that, that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be a pure, cooler blue. The trees, a deeper green. The whole world is charged 
around me with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music underneath my feet. So get in the Word. Smartphone technology allows for instant access to an array of options. Google it, they say. But I'll tell you, there's one app that you ought to get, and that's the Alexander Scorby app. And you can listen to the scriptures all day. That's good fruit. C.S. Lewis, he said, God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. C.S. Lewis understood late in life that you could be a new creature in Christ. John Owen said, there's only one way to be revived and healed from our backslidings so that we may become fruitful even in old age. We must take a steady look at the glory of Christ in his special character, in his grace, and work as shown to us in the scripture. Wow. Now, I've given you those points. I've got just a couple of minutes. We're going to take a break and we're going to have snacks. We're going to come together and we're going to pray from 10 o'clock till 12. I want to encourage you. I know it's past your bedtime, uh, but man, let's just devote this evening to seeking after God and transitioning from 2021 to 2022, and let's pray through into the new year. I heard a preacher say the only true foundation for any Christian endeavor is prayer. I would add the word in prayer, but I tell you, we can pray about it. Vision is essential to the fulfillment of our destinies. If you're writing things down, here are are some more points for you. Number one, looking back arrests progress. Looking back arrests progress. Luke 17, 32, and quoting from Genesis 19, 26, Jesus said three of the most powerful words anybody's ever put out. Remember Lot's wife. You remember the Bible story in Genesis Lot and his family were near the proximity of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was about ready to be judged with, with fire and brimstone and be scorched. And, and Abraham was on a mission and trying to get them out, and God was working. Angels were sent. The people were depraved. It was at an s- extreme level of evil to the point where God regretted that he ever created uh, you know, he was so upset that their stench, the stench of it came up in his nostrils. So he sent down judgment there, and, and Lot was on his way, but Lot's wife longingly looked back to her past. And that's why Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Everybody say, don't look back. I mean, really, um, what Wearsby, Warren Wearsby said, nothing paralyzes our lives like the, like the attitude that, not, that things can never change. Well, we just need to remember and never look back. We need to, we need to press on. We need to press on. So, so she longingly looked back to the world and her old life. Uh, it says in the, Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, that if you do longingly look back, provision will be made for that. So when you seek, you find. So you got to watch what you watch and watch what you desire. Number two, well, Patsy, in the first part, you know, about you put your hands to the plow, don't look back. Paul Clark did a great song in the uh, album in the 70s. And his grandpa, these are his grandpa's leathery farmer hands, uh, and it was called Hand of the Plow. 
and I recommend you uh, download that and listen to that album, Hand to the Plow. It's, it was that, that 70s uh, kind of progressive jazz sound, really great musicians. I mean, amazing. He had Abraham Laboriel on there. He had some amazing people. Alex Acuna, really good musicians. It was jazzy. It was really good. The reason I love it is because there's a song called Man, Woman, Medley with Paul singing, and, uh, in, and I played it for, for Patsy when she was my friend, and I played it. I want you to hear this song, and it was my beginning nudge across that danger zone from friendship to romance. And I used Paul's album to make that thing happen. Hallelujah. So I'm forever indebted to Paul. And also, interestingly, um, they lost, they had recorded the female, it's like like communication between a man and a woman in song. And and they lost the, the parts that had been recorded. Something happened, like an electric problem or something at the recording studio. And, they, and she flew home, and they, they couldn't come back the next day and record it. She was gone. And he said, man, I don't know what to do. And she, he said, well, I know this kid in our church, 16-year-old kid, just has a great voice, 17 or 16. And her name was Kelly Willard. We actually had her come and do a concert here. She, she was a really great singer, humble. And uh, she came in and sang it. First, it was the first uh, take. So it was beautiful. And she... She, God bless Kelly Willard, wherever she is. But anyway, it says, uh, keeping my hands to the plow. And, uh, and the other song, the, the song that the album is named after, where they, and, and this, is what, this is what, you never want to know the backstory on certain things. You don't want to meet your heroes and things like that. So he told me, yeah, that, those were my dad's, my grandpa's arms. I mean, they look like elephant trunks. They're just like really gnarly, leathery, really cool looking arms. I mean that with all due respect. Being a farmer, yeah, being out out in the sunshine. He said, yeah, we went to the hardware store and we bought two axe handles. I said, what? That's not an actual old plow? So anyway, so now you Google it, not while I'm preaching, but later on, and you can see that so that you you too can be demystified. But the Bible says nobody after putting their hand to the plow should look back. Say, I'm not looking back. We forget those things which lie behind. Reach forward to those things which lie ahead. Number two, with vision, we've got to keep looking to Jesus. We've got to keep, we, we don't look back because it arrests, arrests progress. Keep looking to Jesus. And now go to John chapter 3, verse 14. This, this, is, this will stick with you tonight. And I've just got just a couple more minutes. I'm doing really good. You have time to listen? We're going to wind it down and go have some party. And then we're going to come back at 10 o'clock and we're going to pray for through the new year. And uh, you can go take a nap in the chairs and then you can come back fresh if you need to. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. We need to lift up Jesus, don't we? And we need to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now listen, number three, looking to difficulties depresses. Looking to Jesus saves. Looking back arrests progress. But looking to difficulties 
depresses. And when Peter had the invitation to do that amazing defiance of physics and walk on water on the, on the Sea of Galilee, don't you think that was awesome? And I'm proud of Peter for doing it, and I, I admire it, and I, I too want to walk on water, walk above circumstances, don't you? But what happened, though, is Peter got distracted and got his eyes diverted, Look into difficulties, depresses. Look what happened. It says in verse 28, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. How many of you think it should stop right there? That's pretty sensational. But seeing the wind, see verse 3, 30? See, this is, this is not the right vision. Seeing the wind, he became frightened. And you know, he began to sink. But like you and me, we, he cried out to the Lord, save me. And he did, of course. There's a, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes. If the farmer regards the wind, he won't sow seed. And if he regards the rain, he won't reap the crop. Because if you regard the wind, you think, man, if I throw the seed out, it'll just be picked up and it'll just go out off, off and it won't go into the designated area. So I better not do it. And, and it, it, it's going to rain. And if it rains, then it's going to mildew and it's going to ruin the crop. So I better not reap. Right? Church, if we're moved by the circumstances, they will depress us. Peter was walking on water. He had his eyes on the Lord. But then, seeing the wind. Last time I checked, you really can't see wind. So how did he see the wind? Well, he saw the white caps and he saw the squirrels and maybe the mist and he saw the effect of the wind, but he, he got distracted. And um, this is, is so important in 2021 as we move to 2022. What's a magnetic juncture of divine happenings? We're going to find out. And I think yesterday when I met with the guys that just got back from Kentucky, and one asked for prayer, and then we prayed, and then he got what he thought was a robocall, and then 20 minutes late into it, when he's on his way to visit friends in Chicago, which he said twice, apologetically, hey, we're going to be in Chicago. We're not going to be there on New Year's. So I could talk about them all a lot because they're not here. But isn't that a great testimony? $35,000 worth of free medicine? And it's not going to cross, conflict, or whatever the word is, Right? What's it called? What do you say? Contra. Okay. Nurse. Contra. Yeah. And so isn't that where the medicines fight against each other and it causes problems for the It could kill people, right? Or, it, yeah, right? So the Holy Spirit obviously gave me a word because I can't even remember it. But he gave me enough wisdom at that moment to pray it. Aren't you glad God's way bigger and smarter and stronger and better and yeah, than we could even fathom? Looking heavenward brings the glory. That's, the last, that's point four. Looking heavenward brings glory. Let's see what it says in Acts chapter 7. Verse 55, 
about Stephen. Let's all stand up on our feet. This is my last point. Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's lift up our hands. Father, tonight, last Friday service of 2021, I just want to say thank you. I like 2021 a lot. You got us, you brought us through. People in here survived COVID. Our love, some loved ones went home to be with the Lord. They're in heaven having the best time that they've ever had since they, were, they could even imagine. You're bringing healing to our country. The United States of America will have a revival and healing. You've done amazing things in St. Louis Family Church. For that, we are short, surely grateful. So everybody say, write it down. 